Well, good morning. I want to begin this morning with a question, and it's a question that I'm going to ask, and I know what your first thought is going to be. There's no way that that's possible. I'm already predicting your answer to the question. And my, and my question is this. What, what would life look like if in every circumstance, or is it even possible in every circumstance, regardless of how difficult that circumstance is, what would life look like for you if every time you had a circumstance that was challenging, the victorious ones and the challenging ones, the ones that caused defeat, the ones that caused great excitement, what would it look like in your life if every time you could choose joy? I mean, every time across the board, whatever came in your life, you experienced joy. For instance, what would it look like in your life if at the end of the month, when the month, you know, lasts longer than the money, <laughs> you choose joy? <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? What if, you know, when you get that call from your boss, you get pulled into the room, you know, the room, or you go to that restaurant, there's always like a restaurant you go to where you know, like, yeah, he's going to let me know the bad news here about what's about ready to happen. And you find out that your future is in jeopardy. What if you chose joy. What if when your spouse decides that they don't want to be with you anymore, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend decides they don't want to be with you anymore, and in that moment, in that circumstance, you chose to be joyful? What if when you find out that that loved one has cancer that may be terminal, what if you chose to be joyful? What would your life look like? How different would your life be? Is it even possible to do that. I want to begin this series. I want to begin today, November the 2nd, brand new series, four-part series with a premise. And I want you to hear the premise. And I want this just to sit for a minute because I think sometimes when we hear these kind of things, we, we think there's just no possible way that's true. And so we don't even think about it at all. But I want to begin with this premise in mind, that there is a situation in which you and I can find joy in every circumstance. There is a scenario, there is a situation, there is a, a circumstance in which you and I, whether we are Christ followers or God followers or not, there is a situation in which we can find joy. And I want to begin with that premise in mind and let the next four weeks build on that premise. And I believe as we walk along throughout this series called, It's All Good. Don't you love that phrase? It's all good. We say that all the time, don't we? Somebody said it to me. How you doing? Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I'm good. But boy, we're not good when circumstances don't go the way we expected. Over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to walk through a book of the Bible called Philippians. It's a letter that was written to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. It was written by a man by the name of Paul. And I think as we journey through this series called It's All Good, I think we're going to find out and we're going to figure out what the formula is for each one of us to experience joy in every situation, whether it's good 
or whether it's bad. You and I can experience that kind of joy if we will find out what God's definition of joy is and how we can find that joy. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I'm really excited about this series. And I, and I got to be honest with you, um, when I chose this series uh, back in the summer, I really felt like God was leading us to do a, a book study uh, in a New Testament book. And I kept praying to God, you know, what, what book should I choose? And he just kept pointing me to this book called Philippians in, in the New Testament. And we're going to describe what Philippians is here over the next uh, few minutes together. But uh, little did I know um, that on the day that I would kick this off, um, as a sports fan, I would have a week like this. My Falcons lost a 21-point lead last week. Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, my favorite soccer team, lost this week. You know, the Braves didn't make the playoffs, and the San Francisco Giants won another World Series. And my Georgia Bulldogs would absolutely, you know, do what they did yesterday. That was brutal. I think somebody just cheered. Thank you. <laughs> I talk about those things, and I'm, I'm just joking around, because that kind of threat to joy, obviously, is trite. And I realize that some of you are in here today, and the things that you're facing in your life are so overwhelming that right now, you would say, Todd, there is no way that I can even come close experiencing any joy. You have no idea what my circumstances are. You have no idea the depth of the issues that I'm facing right now. You have no idea how hurt I've been by this person or that person or by this cir circumstance or that circumstance. And you know what? You're absolutely right. I have no idea. But I want to let you know something today. Right up front, right at the beginning, God absolutely knows what you're dealing with. And he loves you and he wants you to experience the kind of joy that we are going to look at and that we are going to search out over these next few weeks. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philippians. If you don't, the words will be on the screen. And I know some of you came in later, and uh, we had a huge crowd in our first service and a, a large crowd here, and uh, we didn't have any worship folders left. But guess what? We have a great website, and we have an app. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't get a worship folder, to go right to that website, and uh, you can go to the media page and find today's notes. You can also go on our app, and you can get the notes there. And you can also download them. Some of you have been asking about that from your computer as a PDF. Uh, later, you can do that. And so we are going to be today in Philippians 1. And I have one thing that I want you to do as a way to prepare, because I want you to be a participant in this with me. I don't want to just uh, 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 give a, a nice message uh, and, and, you know, have it be a one-sided conversation. So here's what I want you to do over these next few weeks. Philippians is comprised of four chapters. And, and some of you uh, saw my blog this week uh, where I challenge you to read Philippians 1 in preparation for today. Each of the next few weeks, read that chapter in preparation for Sunday so that you kind of know what's going on in that chapter. And we're going to be taking a look at this wonderful book that really tells us how we can experience joy in every single situation that we face in life. But I got to tell you this, right up front, that I think a lot of times the biggest mistake we make when we're faced with these difficult circumstances and these difficult situations is that we are truly not pursuing joy. We're pursuing something us, something else. We're pursuing something that the world and our upbringing for most of us has conditioned us to pursue. And culture has told us that we should pursue this thing. 
We, we are conditioned in our lives from the moment that we enter you know, education and the moment that we come into this world and we're pressed to, to, to learn and to better ourselves, which, by the way, are all great things, uh, and, and, but we're pressed so much to pursue something, and it's called happiness, right? I, I mean, isn't that true? How, how many of you would say, I want to be happy in life? Raise your hand. I want to be happy in life. Okay, I'm raising my hand. If you didn't raise your hand, boy, that, that must be tough being at your Thanksgiving table on Christmas. My goodness. Like, if you don't even want to be happy, my goodness, that's awful. We want to be happy. The world tells us that that's what we should pursue, that we should pursue happiness. We're told that from a very early age. The, the turtles, the group, the turtles back in the 1960s, uh, they said that happiness could be found when we're together, right? I'm not going to sing it because I have a terrible voice. But some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? My, my era, my uh, growing up, uh, Bobby McFerrin told us that the key to being happy was not to what? Well, there you go, worry. All right, you guys know that. That's awesome. Beryl Williams today tells us that if we want to have happiness, that we need to have a determination to get over ourselves and to get over all those things that influence us not to be happy. And so the world tells us to be happy, but I want to give you a contrast here today. Get this, I love this. The word happy comes in the original language from a word that, mean, that uh, is hap. And it means, it literally means random. That's what the word means. There's another word in our English language that we derive from that word hap. What is it? Haphazard. Haphazard. Random. You see, happiness is fleeting. Here's a contrast that I want you to see. Happiness on this side of the, the, the spectrum is fleeting. It can go in an instance. It can also come in an instant. We, we may not even see it coming, and we have a situation, and we experience happiness, and things are great. And then all of a sudden, once that relationship is over, or once that situation that we are so happy in comes to an end, our life comes crazy crashing down and no longer do we have the experience of happiness it's random it's fleeting it comes quickly and it goes away just as quick that's happiness and that's what the world tells us that we should strive to pursue god tells us listen here's the contrast god tells us on this end of the spectrum that we ought to pursue joy Joy is something in the original language that is permanent. It gives the impression, it gives the connotation of a permanent situation. It's truthful. You can count on it. It's long-lasting. And so there's a difference between happiness and joy. We, as Christ followers, and those of you who may not be Christ followers, if you want to have like a permanent situation to your resolve to maybe these issues that are so overwhelming in your life, pursuing happiness will fix it for a while, and then it'll go right away. Joy or delight is another word I'm going to use throughout this series. Delight in every situation is something that comes from the Bible. In fact, the Bible, all throughout the Bible, it mentions the word happy 30 times, 30 it mentions rejoice or joy. Those are two, two of the same words. It mentions over 300 times. And so God is not nearly as concerned about our happiness as he is concerned about us pursuing this thing 
called joy over these next few weeks. We're going to dive in and take a look at what that is, and we're going to do it from this message from Philippians. Let's get some facts really quick just to give us some context, context some historical background on what's happening here and, and why Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. You can take a look at your notes this morning. There's a couple of facts about Philippi that I think that are important. It's located in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, Philippi. It, it was a huge city uh, in its day. It was actually kind of uh, considered like a, a small uh, version of Rome, little Rome. And, and it was located uh, strategically on the Ignatian Way where it connected uh, Asia with the rest of the world of, of that day, the known world of that day. So this little, what we would call little today, a place called Philippi was an important part of, of just life, an important part of culture and commerce and art and uh, education. And, and the church first started in this place called Philippi on the European continent. Now, why is that important? Let, let me have you raise your hands. Those of you who have ancestors that came from Europe, you know, uh, raise your hand if you have ancestors that came from Europe. Many of you have ancestors that came from Europe, me included. Many of those may have accepted Christ as their Savior because of what happened here in Philippi. It's an important city. It was an important thing that God was doing. And it was uh, literally a, a, a city that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who went on all these missionary journeys that we talked about, just loved the people of Philippi. He, he had a special place in his heart for these people. And so he found himself in a Roman prison um, after that third missionary journey. He ended up in prison uh, because the, the Jewish people of that day were uh, worried and they, they felt like he was kind of uh, getting into their area of religion and he was kind of taking over. And so they had the Romans arrest him and he found himself in a Roman prison and he wrote a few of these letters to some of these churches Philippi was included. Take a look at this overview of Philippians. It was written from a Roman prison in AD 61, and it was a letter that was written to these Christians in Philippi to thank them for a gift that they had delivered to him while he was in prison. <laughs> what we're going to read over these next few weeks is a long thank you letter. That's essentially what it is. And he takes the opportunity to, as he thanks them, to encourage them and to challenge them on this issue of joy. It mentions joy or rejoice 16 times, but I don't want you to miss this. The name Jesus is mentioned 40 times in this book. Do you see already the link between having joy and Jesus? There's a link there that cannot be unbroken. He challenges us to find joy in all circumstances because of our assurance in Christ. And the main theme of this book that we're going to look at, this letter, is regardless of our circumstances, we can choose joy. Again, happiness is something that happens to us. Joy is something that we choose. We're going to find out how to choose that over these next few weeks. Now, let me just say this as a disclaimer. I realize what we're going to read has to do with Paul being on his God-given mission or purpose as an apostle, as someone who is a missionary, who's taking the message of Jesus Christ and reaching into the world. And he finds himself in prison. He's multiple times been in prison. He's found himself beaten, and he's found himself suffering for the cause of Christ. And I just want to say this up front. I realize that when we're talking about your issues and my issues, those issues that threaten the joy in our life, like the Georgia Bulldogs losing such a terrible game last night, and all the other much, much more important issues, much heavier issues. I realize that all of those issues may pale 
in comparison to what Paul was going through. But if you've gone through anything that has caused you great disappointment, great despair, great discouragement, maybe even depression, the thing that you're going through that robs you of your joy is just as great in your own life, isn't it? And so even though we're talking about him being on mission for God and finding joy in that terrible circumstance, the lessons that he teaches us can be transferred and applied to whatever area that we're going through. And so in your own life, if you're a Christ follower in here, I'm going to ask you to ask God to reveal that area in your life that is threatening your joy. Let's dive in. Let's read. We're going to read parts of this letter, this first chapter of this letter here this morning and we are going to apply it to our lives. He begins by saying this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons as the leaders of the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he begins by uh, describing who he's speaking to. This is the writer and the reader. It's the writer of the letter, Paul and Timothy, uh, in part. He was his uh, protege. And he's writing to the people of Philippi. Now, one thing I just want to say is, is that when he says saints, or anytime you see the word saints in the New Testament, a lot of times our culture and even our church has decided that a saint is like, you know, there's like God and the angels and then saints and then humans. But that's not what the original intent was. Saints in the New Testament is anytime you see that is always applied to people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Those are the saints. And, and we can look at other churches and say, well, they, they you know, say that people are saints because they are nearly perfect. We, we do it too. We put people so high up on a pedestal sometimes because of what they've done for Christ. But they're people, they're humans, just like you and, and me. And so he's writing to all the Christians in Philippi, but the message is also for us here today. And then he says two little words. He writes two little words that are so incredibly important. He focuses and he writes these words in Christ, in Christ. He is writing to people who find themselves in Christ. And any time in the New Testament you see those two words together, in Christ, that is specifically speaking of those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so he is essentially saying to all the people in Philippi who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then he goes on to describe, and we'll talk about it, how you can experience joy. And so my first point, the first point I want to make this morning is that our current spiritual position determines the extent to which we find delight or joy even when we suffer. Our current spiritual position determines that. If you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to have the opportunity on this side of heaven to choose to have joy in every circumstance, regardless of how bad it is. But if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, all you're going to be doing is choosing happiness and not joy. And my prayer and my hope and my invitation when I'm done today will be to choose Jesus so that you can be in Christ. And so my question is, before we move on to this kind of the second part, is are you in Christ yet? Have you made that decision to become a Christ follower yet? If not, I'll invite you at the end of this message to make that decision. Let's keep reading. I'm going to read verses 3 through about 11 here. He, he says this, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and then verse 6, we're going to come back to this in a minute. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. He, he's talking about the compassion and the connection that he has with this group of people. He says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me, he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, verse 8, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment. That's insight from God. That's what discernment means. So that you may approve. The word approve in the original language means discern. So that you may discern. It's kind of the same thing. What is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in jail, isn't he? And, and he begins in verse 3 by saying, I thank God. He's in jail and he's thanking God. He's talking about love. He's talking about knowledge. He, he says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's the good news message of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. So that it may become more known throughout the whole imperial guard. Those are the Roman soldiers that are, that are with him, that are keeping watch over him. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in, uh, in the Lord by my imprisonment, are so much more bold to speak the word without fear. And he says this, for verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. For the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me and in my imprisonment. And then he says, what then? What does it really matter, though? They may do that to harm me and to hurt me, but look what he says here. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, I'm not going to ask if you've been to jail and experienced this, okay? I don't want to do that, but um, I've been to jail. To, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. To visit people in jail, okay? I just want to clear that up, lest you worry there. Um, and I've been there, and um, my experience was that it wasn't a happy place overall. And my guess is, is that our modern-day prisons and jails are a lot different in a much better way than the first century Roman prisons, don't you think? I'm sure that our conditions today are so much better than theirs was back then. And Paul rejoices. He chooses joy in this situation. He chooses to be joyful because he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt who he is in Christ and why he's been placed on this earth. Point number two. Our level of confidence in God's purpose for our lives is the key to finding delight or joy when we suffer. See, our level of confidence in what God is doing in our lives will is the first step, is the first key into seeing us through joy in that situation. If, if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, then we are going to have trouble finding joy when the circumstances get rough. A few points in that. You can see from, from 
his writing here that God's purpose for us isn't complete when we die. Look, look at Philippians 1.6. I love this. This is, this is great. He says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was 15 years old and God was really working on my heart and in my life and when I was growing spiritually in those uh, teenage years, I read this verse and I went, oh man, that's my life verse. That's it. That's what I want. I, I want God to do his work in me till completion. Uh, Cynthia had the same life verse. This is her life verse. It was very meaningful at the time. But I got to tell you, at 41 now, I, I realize what this verse means. You know what it means? that he's going to complete his work the whole way until I'm dead. <laughs> At 41, I'm, I'm not so sure I'm happy. I chose this as my life verse, but it's true, isn't it? I have a pastor friend that is known for saying, if, God's, if you're not dead, God's not done. And it's true. He will continue to do his work. And so God's purpose for us isn't complete until we die. God's glory is worth our personal sacrifice. You can see that Paul admits and confesses that his personal suffering is, is worth it for the gospel. Boldness and fear mark his purpose, and it should mark our purpose. Boldness and fear should mark our purpose. And then the advancement of the gospel message is what matters, not our own agenda. You see that when Paul realizes he's got some opposition coming, and he says, I don't really care about the opposition. As long as the message of the gospel is being preached. And the reason I use that term, the advancement of the gospel, it's what I have in the notes. The advancement of the gospel is what matters, not our, agenda, our own agendas, because that's a phrase that we used in our last message series, the advancement of the gospel. So you can see that Paul, in the worst time, a time that we can't probably even imagine, exp uh, goes through, uh, he chooses joy. And he does it because he knows what he's here for, and he knows what God is doing. And then take a look at verse 19. He says, yes, I'll rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation, he says in verse 20, and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And that this is one of the key verses in this uh, particular chapter. In verse 21, he says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. What Paul is saying right here is he says, I am suffering so much that if I were to die, I would gain. Because I would be in heaven with Jesus in my perfect form. No more pain, no more suffering, no more jail time, no more Roman imperial guards. That would be nice. But he says, for me to live is Christ. Do you see where his focus is? His focus is not himself. And I got to tell you, if you're a Christ follower in here and your focus is yourself, you're going to have a very difficult time experiencing joy. The only reason I know that is because I have been there when my focus has been myself. And it's been very difficult for me to find joy in that situation. Skip down to verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life, he's telling this church in Philippi this, be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in any anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, of their destruction. But your salvation 
Your salvation is where you stand firm, and that is from God. And he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I've said this before in previous messages. It bothers me when I hear pastors and teachers and theologians and people on TV who call themselves teachers of God, when they say that once you become a Christ follower, everything's going to be fine. That's not true. And Paul is admitting here that suffering will happen. He's admitting that sacrifice will happen in life, that sometimes situations don't work out best for you. They didn't for him, certainly. And he's admitting that. And I think part of finding joy in our lives and our circumstances is to be honest about the circumstances that we're in. To realize the depth of those circumstances. But when they come up, we determine to get through. That's point number three. We delight in our sacrifice when we are determined to persevere. We delight in our sacrifice when we are determined to persevere. And I don't mean, listen, I don't mean the kind of like perseverance that's like, okay, I'm going to get through this with joy and happiness and a smile on my face. Does that ever work? Like the whole, I know it's an old phrase, but like you know, people say, you got to pull yourself up, up by your bootstraps. Don't you love that phrase? Like, I don't have bootstraps. I've never even owned a pair of boots. What does that mean? You know, I mean, come on, give me a break here. Like, we have this idea in our culture, and I think even the church has precipitated this idea that we can get over our circumstances that are unwanted or that threaten to, to rob and steal joy, that we can do it by ourselves. And Paul is saying here that we can't do it by ourselves, but we can do it with the power and by the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We delight in our sacrifice when we are determined to persevere. And he points out a couple things. Determined to go on when we want to give up. Determined to stand strong when we want to cave in. And determined to be unified and not divided. You see, self-determination and self-reliance leads to happiness, which is temporary and fleeting and haphazard. But standing firm in Christ, knowing what he wants for your life, it leads to joy that is lasting, true joy and delight that even in the stinky circumstances that we face, we overcome it because we know who we are in Christ. The action item for you today, in closing, is move from a place of despair to delight by finding who you are in Christ and pursuing God's purpose for your life. I didn't know in the summer when God led me to uh, teach from Philippians that I would have to start it the day after Georgia lost such an embarrassing game last night. But that's not where this really gets personal for me. Where it really gets personal for me and I hope some of you hear this who are going through some stuff right now that may be robbing your joy, that may be threatening your joy. The last year of my life, I have faced more disappointment, more personal despair, even to the point of some depression. I'm just being honest with you. And for a long time, I've let it rob my joy. 
You know, I don't and you don't have to sit around and be embarrassed that we let it, it rob our joy in the past. Our job is to find who we are in Christ. Find who we are in Christ and to find his purpose for our lives and to ask him, how do you want me to respond to this situation? How do you want me to please you, Jesus, through whatever I'm faced with? I'm not there. I'm admitting that. But I'm learning it. And I'm so glad that God called, called me in the summer to preach these four messages right now because I needed it. So some of you may walk out of here today, you're like, that was terrible. That was awful. Nothing connected to me. Well, I loved it. So there you go. God, thank you so much for this letter, this encouraging, challenging, uplifting letter. And God, I pray for those who are in here today, and they've never made that decision to follow you. They've never made that decision to put their faith for eternity in you. If you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. The story of God redeeming me and others who are Christ followers goes like this. Sin entered the world in the beginning of mankind. And from that point on, you and I never had a chance. God is perfect, and it's that sin that separates us. And so if you're here today and you never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never accepted the one who offers forgiveness for eternity for those sins. So if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And you do that through a heartfelt, simple, quiet prayer. Just you and God. I'm, every head's bowed and every eye is closed. No one's looking around. It's just you and God. And I'm going to say this prayer out loud. And I want to encourage you to say it along with me. In your heart. If you mean it. And if you believe it. It goes like this. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Today, I admit that I am a failure, that I make a lot of mistakes, that I have a lot of junk in my life. And today, I choose to accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. prayed that prayer along with me just in this moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up high so I can pray for you. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise your hand. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? Raise your hand up high. You can leave them up for a moment. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who have their hands raised. And maybe for the first time in their life, they accepted you as their Savior. God, thank you. That's the whole reason you came. God, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and giving us the opportunity to have eternal life with nothing else that we need to do. Thank you, Father God, for that. And I pray for those who said yes today. I pray that you would help anchor them in their faith walk. You can put your hands down now. If you're in here today and you're a Christ follower, um, wherever you are on that journey, 
and you've been faced like I was in 2014 with a lot of discouragement, yeah, maybe some of it self-inflicted, maybe some of it inflicted by others. Um, if you've faced despair and discouragement, maybe even a little depression thrown in there. Maybe you're frustrated with searching for this thing called happiness or joy or delight in these negative circumstances. Um, and you've tried every other way, but you're, you're just sick of it. You're just at the end of your rope. And you want to you choose joy. You want to choose from now on to delight in those circumstances, knowing that they're going to come, knowing that you're not free from pain. If you're in here today and you've been struggling with that, and you're a Christ follower and you say, Todd, I just, I just want you to pray for me in this area. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand up. Hands all over the room. Raise your hand up. Keep them up for a moment. Just keep them up for a moment. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for those who are brave enough, courageous enough to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. It's really affected me. And I maybe haven't chosen joy every time in the past. And God, today, I pray for those with their hands lifted high right now. I pray in the strong name of Jesus, you would give them the power to choose joy. Because they know who they are in you and they know their purpose for you. God, give them the strength to do that in every circumstance. Help them to not worry about what they've done or how they've responded in the past. But Father God, I pray that you'll help them to respond with joy from this point on. And God, for all of us, you can put your hands down. Now for all of us, Father God, I pray that you would help us to look to you. God, that we would seek you out in those moments when that thing comes up, that circumstance comes up, and it threatens our joy. May we look to you before anything else. In Jesus' name I pray.